cherish guests. I just love having you here in the History Obscura reading room. As always, I am your hostess, Mandy Gardner. Care to join me in a cup of tea and a story? Good. Please indulge me, as tonight I want to start our story with another story. You may be familiar with this one, entitled Oliver Twist. It was written by Charles Dickens in 1837. So they established the rule that all poor people should have the alternative of being starved by a gradual process in the house or by a quick one out of it. With this view, they contracted with waterworks to lay on an unlimited supply of water and with a corn factor to supply periodically small quantities of oatmeal, and issued three meals of thin gruel a day with an onion twice a week and half a roll on Sundays. Thank you. Now on to our feature story of the night. Once upon a time, Great Britain was extremely filthy and poor. The growing industrialized population struggled to provide food and shelter for themselves. Concerned, King William IV's administration orchestrated the 1832 Royal Commission into the operation of the Poor Laws. The purpose of the commission was to investigate where exactly these ancient laws were failing, how the poor were suffering throughout the United Kingdom, and what might be done to fix the situation. Once compiled, the report made frequent references to coal-whippers and chiffoniers, which were two of the most common types of laborers at that time. Coal-whippers retrieved stores of coal from the holds of transport ships, a job that was dirty, grueling, and long-houred. Chiffoniers is a gentrified French term that translated, in colloquial terms, to rag and bone men. These laborers collected small cast-off items like bits of metal, bone, and cloth, and sold them to merchants. While rag fibers and metals could be recycled into new items, bones were frequently boiled into glue or ground into fertilizer. I'd like to quote an eyewitness testimony that was included in this report. <clears throat> the bone pickers are the dirtiest of all the inmates of our workhouse. I have seen them take a bone from a dung heap and gnaw it while reeking hot with the fermentation of decay. Bones from which the meat had been cut raw and which still had thin strips of flesh adhering to them they scraped carefully with their knives and put the bits, no matter how befouled with dirt, into a wallet or pocket appropriated to the purpose. They have told me that whether in broth or grilled, they were the most savory dish that could be imagined. I have not observed that these creatures were savage, but they were thoroughly debased. Often hardly human in appearance, they had neither human tastes nor sympathies, nor even human sensations, for they reveled in the filth which is grateful to dogs and other lower animals, and which to our apprehension is redolent only of nausea and abomination. 
Here's another addition from one of the superintendents to the commissioners of the Metropolitan Police. With reference to that portion of the population, which at present exists by picking bones in the bylanes, in the event of those places being properly cleansed, I am of the opinion that they would be compelled to adopt some more laborious and useful means of obtaining a livelihood, such as field labor. They are at present an idle, dissolute class, prowling about the stables, yards, back of premises and lanes, willing to commit petty felony wherever opportunity presents itself. While it would remove them, on the other hand, the instant removal of filth from the metropolis must prove beneficial to the health of the inhabitants. An example is to be found in the state of some districts mentioned by Dr. Speer, who in his account of the diseases in the lower orders in Dublin, given in the Dublin Hospital reports, noticed the fact that the fever cases always came from the filthy districts, and he observed, We cannot wonder at the rapidity with which contagion often spreads. Both in and out of doors, it seems facilitated in every way. Within doors, every article of furniture and wearing apparel is disfigured with filth. Every spot seems encrusted with its layers, and the foulest odors abound everywhere. Out of doors, at least in warm seasons, our churchyards, slaughterhouses, and the masses of filth and offal which fill our streets and lanes are disgraced, contribute no less to the propagation of contagion. In the larger and better streets, the cleansing is very well attended to, but in the narrow and crowded ones, where the necessity of its removal is infinitely greater, the heaps of filth are truly disgraceful. In some of my visits, I have been obliged to wade through masses of filth enough to sicken the stoutest and strongest, masses which have remained undisturbed for months, perhaps for years and thus generation of the most putrid effluvia. We know that vegetables are very dear in our markets. Why? Because our gardens are not sufficiently manured. This manure lies in our lanes and alleys and only wants collecting. The condition of large rural districts in the immediate vicinity of the towns, and of the poorest district of the towns themselves, presents a singular contrast in the nature of the agencies by which the health of the inhabitants is impaired. Within the towns, we find the houses and streets filthy, the air fetid, disease, typhus, and other epidemics rife amongst the population, bringing, in the train, destitution and the need of pecuniary as well as medical relief all mainly arising from the presence of the richest materials of production, the complete absence of which would, in a great measure, restore health, avert the recurrence of disease, and if properly applied, would promote abundance, cheapen food, and increase the demand for beneficial labor. The families of most of the laboring people are crowded in consequence of the smallness of the apartment, where there are many children, it is common for 10 or 12 people to inhabit one apartment, and for four children to lie in one bed, both in health and sickness. As the information sought from the medical officers and witnesses in the course of this inquiry 
was chiefly as to the sanitary condition of the population, they might naturally be expected only to notice the overcrowding as one of the causes of ill health. And they do frequently notice that fact, in a sense. But the overcrowding is also frequently noticed as a cause of extreme demoralization and recklessness. And recklessness, again, is a cause of disease. Mr. T.P.J. Grantham, medical officer of the Sleaford Union, in reference to the typhus fever in the family of an agricultural laborer, gives the following instance of the overcrowding which was frequent in the rural districts. The domestic economy in this house was deplorable. Eight persons slept in one small, ill-ventilated apartment with scarcely any bedclothing. The smell arising from want of cleanliness and the dirty clothes of the children being allowed to accumulate was most intolerable. Considering the situation of the house, its filthy state, and the vitiated air which must have been respired over and over again, it is not surprising that this family should have been afflicted with fever, and that of a very malignant type. The mother and one child fell victims to it in a very short time. The conclusions wrought by the multiple members of the investigatory team were varied but it was generally agreed amongst them to suggest legislation be proposed to send all able-bodied, poor people into parish workhouses. These workhouses would ideally be built in every district, housing all members of the public who would otherwise have been dependent on the parish for shelter and food. The timing was ideal in that Great Britain was undergoing enormous changes due to the Industrial Revolution and factory-style employment perfectly suited the workhouse environment. Workers of both sexes were admitted, though housed separately, and put to work for long hours. They were provided with shared sleeping quarters, though these were divided between the sexes, and meals, and given a pittance of a salary in exchange for their labor. The goods they created were sold by the workhouse administrators and those funds were meant to be used to provide care for the residents of the facility. Children were also taken in and provided with school lessons until they became old enough to work, which usually happened at the age of 14. The basic recommendations of the investigators was adopted into law in 1834, and unfortunately the spreading influence of the workhouse industry had exactly the opposite effect on poor Britons as had been intended. Edwin Chadwick, one of the original investigators involved in the Royal Commission, grew very concerned about the conditions of the country's labourers after an outbreak of typhus in 1838. At his urging, the Poor Law Board initiated another inquiry at Chadwick's own expense. The resultant report on the sanitary condition of the laboring population of Great Britain was finished and published in 1842. The report was shocking. Chadwick found that laborers in the country's large industrialized cities had an astonishingly lower expected lifespan than their rural counterparts. He used the rural country of Rutland as a baseline by which to compare the plight of the urban worker. In Rutland, he recorded that the life expectancy of a professional tradesman was 52 years of age. 
other tradesmen were expected to live 41 years, and general laborers were expected to reach 38 years of age. By comparison, laborers in Leeds, Liverpool, Manchester, and Bolton were expected to live until the age of 19, 15, 17, and 18, respectively. Expected lifespans for tradesmen were also considerably shortened in the city, as low as to 20 years in Manchester. Because of Chadwick's report, a royal commission was created to deal with the unsanitary conditions of Britain's poor, sick laborers, and Chadwick himself was appointed as one of the commissioners. His work led to the formation of regular waste removal services and facilities that would have a huge impact on the sanitation of Britain's cities and the health of its poorest citizens. Apparently, however, his personality clashed with his peers so much that in 1854 he retired. In a letter to the Times newspaper, the Commission explained the break with their boss as follows. We prefer to take our chance with cholera than be bullied into health. There is nothing a man hates so much as being cleansed against his will, or having his floor swept, his hall whitewashed, his dung heaps cleared away, and his thatch forced to give way to slate. It is a fact that many people have died from a good washing. Good night. <laughs>